and welcome to the BNP Paribas Asset Management Talking Heads podcast. Every week, Talking Heads will bring you in-depth insights and analysis through the lens of sustainability on the topics that really matter to investors. In this episode, we'll be discussing Asian and global emerging market equities. I'm Andy Craig, co-head of the Investment Insights Center, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Zikai Chen, Head of Asian and Global Emerging Market Equities in our Hong Kong office. Welcome, Zikai. Thank you, Andy. Pleasure to be here. Now, to begin with, perhaps we can begin by talking about Asian equities and just cast our, our minds back over what's been going on in the region over the last year. We've obviously had um, a situation in China which has, has weighed heavily on markets with a Chinese consumer who's somewhat uh, traumatized with a, a Chinese property sector that is in disarray and with a certain slowness in terms of stimulus measures or policy measures to counter some of the issues that China faces from the authorities. And a, a lot of attention has been paid to the weakness uh, in China. What's your take on, on what's going on? I think to have a proper discussion of that, we probably need to dial back a little bit to the beginning of the year. If you recall, at the beginning of the year, there was a lot of optimism about the Chinese economy. We were at the end of the two-month rapid infection post the ending of the zero COVID measures in China. And there was a very wide expectation that the Chinese consumer in China would do similar to what we saw in other countries and economies, revenge spending after the lockdown was ended. We did get that in the first quarter. But what was taking most investors by surprise was that that unwounded fairly rapidly by the second quarter and continued into the third quarter and into the latest data that we've seen. So what has happened is that the Chinese consumer did have a surge in spending in the first quarter of this year, but then consumption or measure as retail growth basically sank to single digits. And that really prompted a lot of question as to, okay, what is really going on here? What's happening? I think looking at the lens of what has happened over the last three quarters plus is that perhaps we, the investment community, has probably underestimated how much the wealth effect had had an impact on the Chinese consumers. If you recall, the real estate issue is not something that was happening just this year. In fact, it had percolated in the system for about two plus years now, ever since the Chinese authorities imposed what they call the three red lines to restrain the leverage. What has happened is that the implementation of this policy essentially meant that these companies were no longer able to raise the liquidity they needed, and their model depended on that liquidity to keep a lot of the projects going. So projects stopped quite rapidly and we had some of the large companies running into trouble. And that had an impact on the secondary market where a lot of the households saw neighborhood prices being down or teens on the secondary market. And I think that wealth effect really led to a pullback in exuberance by the consumers and more cautiousness. And that's probably the reason why there's a lot of question marks about the growth prospects of China through the course of this year. One of the issues currently seems to be the, the sense or the, 
the perception among the investment community that the Chinese authorities have the ability, they have the capability, they have the resources, the means to do a lot more to stimulate the economy. Um, but it's uh, and they have been introducing and taking measures, but it's been somewhat slower than perhaps the markets had anticipated. Although, as I say, there have been stimulus measures. I mean, how do you see that? This this sort of seems to be a, a misalignment between what the market expects and, and what the authorities uh, in Beijing are delivering. How do you see things playing out in this respect in the coming months? It's a point that uh, has puzzled me for most of this year as well. And I think the best way that I can construct a framework to think about this is to perhaps take a step back a little bit. The investment community has the belief or this assumption that the Chinese authorities need a certain level of growth in order to maintain social stability and to maintain the social compact with its citizens. But precisely as you pointed out, the central government in particular has a very low debt leverage. They have the potential to do something a lot more if they wish to. We've seen their capability and the willingness to do that back in the global financial crisis of 08-09. And also in 2015, where they intervened um, to basically start pretty significant shantytown rebuild in China. So why have they not done anything right now? I think the key question here is that perhaps the investment community assumption of the red line for economic growth of China is perhaps higher than the policymakers and more importantly, the political leaders' assumption of uh, the needed level of economic growth. If we start off with that assumption, then it falls into place that perhaps that's the reason why, while they have taken on some steps to basically stimulate the economy, starting with the political bureau statement in July, where they removed the statement that housing is for living, not for speculation, that led to optimism that perhaps will be some aid to the real estate sector, which unfortunately has not been followed through. They've also transferred another 1 trillion RMB worth of financing from the central government to allow some of the local governments to refinance the local government financing vehicle. So it's quite clear that for the central government, there are key points where they believe that they need to step in. And I think the key part of that is the local government financing vehicle. It's very clear that they have allocated $1 trillion already and they had an extra inter-budget spending of another trillion RMB targeted for this as well. So that's one area that they have essentially put their money where their mouth is that we are going to prevent any further spread of the systemic issue here. But overall... My sense is that they are comfortable in terms of how the economy is slowing. And I think they believe that it's manageable. But this anxiety that we have on the investment committee is precisely because we think that they need a bit higher economic growth to sustain the overall social compact. How long do you think this could take before the authorities? I mean, do you have any sense of the time it might take before the authorities proceed to implement measures that would be more in line with what the market expects? I was hopeful of that. But as you know, we are now in the early weeks of November. Um, we basically have roughly about six to seven weeks before the end of the year. I think the likelihood of any, uh, shall we say, big bang in terms of fiscal spending is unlikely to materialize this year or even in the first quarter of next year. My sense is that we will need to see a acceleration in the slowdown of the economy in China to persuade the government that they need to basically step up even further 
the stimulus spending at this point in time. I think uh, given the data that we have seen so far and the policy response that we've seen so far, it's quite clear that while they are concerned, they are not at a point where they believe that they need to shock the market with a event-changing uh, big stimulus or big bank stimulus. That's my take on that. Thank you. That's very clear. If we just look forward into 2024, and as you say, we're we're heading towards the end of the uh, end of the current year. When you look at the other economies in the Asian region, where do you see opportunities? Where do you think there are potentially opportunities to position? One of the big and pleasant surprise of this year, and again, it depends depends on your starting point, has been the recovery that we are seeing in the hardware uh, information technology sector, particularly with the semiconductors. There's a couple of drivers here. One, the excessive inventory that was built up over the course of 2022, which has taken a much longer time to digest, is finally working through itself in the various subsectors, for example, like DRAM on NFlash. We have also gotten a pretty positive signals from the big players like SK Hynix or Samsung Electronics that they're seeing this inventory cycle for the semiconductors being resolved and we'll start to see a rebound in growth. And there has been a fairly strong signal that the malaise that we've seen in the information technology side is finally working itself true. So if you look at Asian equities this year, as of year to date, we are probably a little bit down on the absolute term, mainly because of Hong Kong, China equities being down. But if you look at the broader North Asia, you can see that South Korea and Taiwan has actually put in a pretty decent performance so far this year, up around the teens percentage points. I think this will probably continue. There probably needs to be a bit of a readjustment for some of these stocks as the outlook for the revenue and margin improves in the course of 2024. I think this is one area that we feel quite positive about. The other part that is a driver for some of these names has been the evolution of the AI thematic. I think when NVIDIA shocked the world in terms of uh, the improvements and the revenue expectation for this AI chip, everyone scrambled globally to BCC and tried to find where we can get uh, investment exposure to that. Asia, especially more developed Asia, is a key part of the supply chain. And we're going to see some of the companies based in Taiwan and South Korea being able to benefit from this trend. And I think there's also a more rational investment of uh, some of these companies with bigger exposure to AI that's percolating through the investment community now instead of a blind rush that we saw at the very beginning. Well, thank you. That's, uh, we've talked a lot about, uh, about Asia and about uh, what's going on in the region. If we look sort of uh, globally at emerging market equities, what are the main points you would underline as being important for investors with regard to prospects next year in 2024? I think for emerging markets, broadly speaking, unfortunately, they are still going to be subject to a lot of global trends and global influences. With rates where they are in the US, it's a challenging environment for a lot of emerging markets, mostly expressed to the foreign currency perspective of it. But I would say that the good news here for emerging markets going into 2024, despite some volatility and perhaps some uncertainty as to when rates would finally be reduced by the US Federal Reserve, is that we are much closer 
to the end point of the rate cycle than we were even say nine months ago. And if you look at a lot of the previously high yielding EM economies, real rates are now high enough for them to basically start cutting rates even without a rate cut cycle from the US Federal Reserve. And a lot of the foreign direct investments, FDI, that's flowing into some of these uh, emerging markets economies due to the fiscal uh, stimulus measures that we've seen in developed markets will be helpful for their economic growth in the coming year. Mm, cautious, optimistic, and obviously uh, a lot will depend on the Fed and how the Fed proceeds with regards to policy rates in the US, which will be one of the big um, known unknowns for 2024. Well, Zikai, thank you very much. That was a very comprehensive and thorough review. So thank you for joining us today. A pleasure to be here. Thank you, Andy. Okay, so that's it for this week's episode of Talking Heads. If you'd like more information, please reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact or check out Viewpoint, our website for investment insights at viewpoint.bnpparibas-am.com. We recommend subscribing to Talking Heads on your favorite podcast channel. You'll receive your podcast episodes every Monday afternoon. And if you like the podcast, please leave us a positive review and a nice rating. You've been listening to the BNP Paribas Asset Management Talking Heads podcast with me, Andy Craig, and Zikai Chen, our head of Asian equities and global emerging market equities. Thank you and talk again to you soon. Bye-bye. This presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BNP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.